and welcome to the Mindset Growth Academy podcast. I'm your host, Emma Gibbs-Ung. Each show, I'm going to be using a combination of interviews with incredibly inspiring people from around the world who have achieved greatness, overcome adversity, and never given up, as well as solo episodes from me sharing my own journey as a leading mindset coach, helping to inspire, support, and guide you to create a growth mindset so you can achieve success in all areas of your life. Are you ready to bring mindset to life and create success from the inside out? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Mindset Growth Academy podcast. Today I'm joined by Julie Tice, a business coach and marketing strategist for female CEOs. Julie's journey to success hasn't always been easy. Her early life saw her living in a state of poverty, experiencing homelessness and foster care. Deciding she wanted to create a better life, she left her hometown to study and took control of her happiness. Today, she's talking about how she took that leap of faith to create change and to build a new life full of happiness and success. So welcome, Julie. It's lovely to have you. Thank you for having me today. I'm so excited that you're um, on my show and I can't wait to, to, to get started to talk about um, your journey. I've been following you for a while and um, you are incredibly inspiring and yet very, very successful as well. So um, I just wanted to start at the very beginning, if that's right, and just talk about what life was like growing up. Yeah, absolutely. So um, oh, yeah, a lot of people see me you know, as I am today. So I think it is important, like you said, to go back from the beginning. Um, because there was so many different steps in between it that brought me to the life that people see today. And I think it's so important to be able to talk about that. So kind of like you said in your intro, the beginning stages for me weren't easy at all. Um, you know, growing up, my childhood was very much filled with abuse and chaos and this crazy survival mode and learning how to navigate that as a kid. I mean, I just remember taking on so much more than most kids I think would ever imagine like stressing out how are we going to pay rent this month when you look around you're like I'm six I don't know how I'm going to do it but how are we going to do it and then you know getting jobs starting at at 12 having to you know start paying the phone bill start paying rent when I was super young so that was just some of my daily realities that really shaped and started me on the journey that that I'm on right now yeah and I mean, they're massive things for for a six-year-old. If I think back to when I was six, I wasn't thinking about paying rent or anything like that. So that is a lot of pressure to take on as a youngster. You, you, or I mentioned in the um, intro, there were elements of or times in your life where you experienced homelessness and mm-hmm. then in foster care. Was homelessness, was that you on your own or with your family? What, what did that really look like? Um, it was different. So sometimes it was me on my own and that more came from family conflict in the house and being like, I can't live here and having too much shame to reach out for help. And then other times it was with my family. And during those times, my mother and I would just split up and we pretty much find people who would let us stay with them. And it wasn't usually the same people. So I had some of my friends that a friend that I was able to confide in in high school and and tell and say like hey I need a lot of help right now um 
stayed with her for quite some time. And then my mom split off into somewhere else. So it looked different, different times, but that was definitely, yeah, part of, part of the story. Yeah. So how, how did that impact on you as a young individual growing up? I mean, as, as I just said, you know, that's a lot of pressure for someone to have. So were you, um, like a confident person? Were you quite introverted? Did it make you grow up really quickly? Yeah, I was always, I've been told since I was young that I'm a super old soul. I think most people are very shocked when they realize my age. So I'm 24 right now. Um, and I've grown a very successful business. And I think I try to, you know, allude to that's part of it. Um, and I've gone through this journey where now I'm very grateful for those struggles because I've seen how they've built into my strength and built into my maturity as I'm still young and being able to, you know, manage other people and help clients. But when I was younger, I would say, um, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't as outgoing. I think, like I said before, just that shame that came with it. Like, why me? Why is this happening to me? It doesn't happen to other people. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I, I did something to deserve this. And then, um, I remember, I was definitely like, I was sad. I think that was probably the biggest emotion. If you knew me back in high school, you'd probably say like she was very sad. Um, not always. I had times with friends, but I know that was the main emotion I carried because I didn't know how to process any of that pain. And, and it was a way to where I just remember like, I need help and how do I ask for it? And I didn't know how at that age. So I just, I internalized a lot of it. And the emotion that I was left with was just sadness and it was pain. And yeah. How did, how did you cope with carrying that emotion? Cause that again is a big emotion full stop for anybody. You know, when you're carrying a huge amount of shame and sadness, that mm-hmm. can feel really heavy and really like hold us back. So Absolutely. How, did you, how did you cope with that as mm-hmm. a, a young girl growing up? Yeah. And that's an important distinction to make because I mean, now how I cope with all of it is realizing that it was, was all meant to give me this strength, you know, it all served a purpose. But when I was younger, absolutely. Like I didn't know that this was going to be better. And I remember people would say, you know, things will get better. And I'm like, when, like you're lying, it's not ever going to get better. So, and, and there's no blueprint given to a child. Like there weren't counselors in my, I grew up in an extremely small town in Montana. There weren't counselors. There wasn't mental health services. And there was no blueprint of like, you're going through all this trauma, pretty much you're experiencing things you should never have to experience. How do you handle it? So in high school, I would definitely like, I remember staying out and I partied a lot because I didn't want to go home. And it was like the only people who were awake at 2am were people who were partying. I was like, okay, like, I don't, I can't go home. And then I, I struggled definitely with eating disorders. Um, which I think now looking back can totally be related to that. What is one thing I can have control of right now? Because I have control of nothing else. It was definitely a self-harmer. Um, so pretty much coped with it in the most like chaotic and severe way you could. And again, from the outside perspective, like when I say like most people probably knew me as very sad. I think a lot of people were confused. Like, why is she acting like this? Why is, why is she this way without understanding? I do not know how to handle this. And I'm so young and I shouldn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any one person that, that you felt did understand you or that you could reach out to, or did you feel that you were literally carrying this on your own at that lowest point? 
I literally felt like I was carrying it on my own. And I, that's not to say that I don't think people wanted to help, but I don't think anyone knew. And there wasn't, you know, mental health training. I think like there is today. I just don't think people knew how. And I know that there was teachers who probably wondered and maybe felt like, how do I help? But other than that, it was very, I know that they saw it. And then it was met with a lot of just being quiet, turning turning their heads. And then I would confide in some of my friends, but they were so young too. And a lot of my friends that I had, they were going through the same stuff. Like they were living in the same neighborhoods I was and experiencing all this stuff. And we didn't know how to help each other, um, Mm. nor should we have. So it was hard because it, it was very alone and there wasn't that. I think a lot of people like to tell those stories like, but there was this one person that led me out and I didn't have that. And I kind of, I'd waited for it. Yeah. Yeah. What was the toughest thing about living with all of these unknowns? I mean, obviously the whole process sounds pretty tough, but what was the toughest thing for you? Definitely. I knew in the pit of my stomach always that I wanted more. I would look at, you know, families who had wealth, families that had business. And I, I felt somewhere in me, I'm like that. I want that. I want that so bad. And the hardest part was leaving the identity that was, you are a poor girl, you are a trailer park girl, you don't get to have any of this, you don't get to create a better life for yourself. And imagining different and wanting that. Mm -hmm. And knowing that can this be a different part of my identity, but also me having that met with the culture that was around like growing up in a trailer park of why would you want that those people are greedy, you don't like, screw screw the like rich and wealthy and happy people. And so the hardest part, you know, you think, yes, it was hard going in down to the pantry and having there be no food. It was hard being like, it, are, do our lights work today? Do I get a shower at home? Did our hot water get turned off? That was all hard. But the hardest part was definitely separating myself and, and knowing, do I have a different identity from this? Sure. So obviously you did do that because you've gone on to have an amazing, successful business mm-hmm. and happy life. So where do you feel was that defining moment that made you realized that actually these rich people that that everyone was saying you couldn't be was actually achievable and Mm -hmm. that you could break this mold this this cycle that you're in and actually take that control talk me through sort of when that happened and how like how that how it happened and how it made you feel yeah I remember one time I think I was about 16 maybe going on 17 and you know, my life was pretty chaotic. I was partying all the time. I was hurting myself. I wasn't eating. I was, you know, just pretty much destroying myself, seeing how could I kill myself the slowest way possible. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten kicked out of the house and I remember just banging on the door, like until my knuckles bled and no one answered, no one would let me in. And it felt so familiar because I just remembered, like, I have nowhere to go. No one's going to help me. And that was one of the times where I was like, I'm too ashamed I'm too ashamed to reach out to anyone, to talk to anyone. So we got on my pickup at the time and I drove and I parked on the hill somewhere and I didn't have any pillows or blankets. And I mean, it was winter in Montana and there wasn't any gas to run the heat. And I remember like curling up in the back seat and trying to like hold myself for warmth. And I was just sobbing. And I was like, this is so hard. Like, I feel like I'm at such a low I can't do this anymore. It's so hard. And then I thought about, I'm like, well, what about, you know, getting out of this? What about, you know, fighting to make it better? And I was like, oh my God, no, that sounds so hard. And then it clicked for me in that moment. I'm like, 
yeah, you know, what, what's hard, it's, it's hard being hungry and not asking for help. It's hard, you know, living in these environments where you never know what's going to happen, where people are always screaming, where you might not get to go home that night. And all you want to do is sleep because you just got off of your second job of the day after you went to school. Like that was really hard. But then I realized what was also hard was fighting and doing everything I could to get myself out of that. And in that moment, I was like, you get to pick your heart. And that's, that's the reality that I tell all my clients now. And they're usually always struggling with something. And then I teach women how to grow businesses. And a lot of times like, but it's hard. And I'm like, I know. But also I knew in that moment that waking up 20 years later, 40 years later and hating my life and hating who I'd become, that would be hard too. So in that moment, I decided, I'm like, I'm going to pick my heart. It's not going to be easy. And it wasn't like I struggled. I wanted to give up. I wanted to you know, just crawl up in a hole. And on the other side, that life of poverty and homelessness, that was also hard. So I decided I'm like, which one do I want? Which heart am I going to pick? And from that point, I was really, you know, it wasn't like everything changed and rolled the credits and everything was perfect after that. But that was a huge pivotal point where I'm like, even if I don't know how I'm going to do it, I'm just going to put another foot in front of the other. Do you know, and I think what you just said there is beautiful. I'm because it's so true nothing nothing in life is easy there are things that come easier to to certain people but as you said you're choosing your hard because so many people settle for what they've got even though they're not happy because it is hard but that it's that they're used to it and so they just kind of go along with it and go along for the ride but whether you know you said that not everything changed in that moment but that intention Mm -hmm. um changed and suddenly you saw a way out and like you just said you know you put one step in front of the other and focused on that and I think sometimes we get so caught up in how that is actually going to happen that that's that holds us back even more but actually if we just trust and we put that one step in front of the other and just focus on what we can do today that will move us forward tomorrow then we start to build momentum. Mm-hmm. So how did that look for you? You made that, that choice in that evening. Mm-hmm. What happened over the next few months? So I think during that time, you know, the year after it would have been my senior year. Um, and I mean, I will, I definitely like still, I don't think I was this super positive person, but it was kind of like, I don't know what this new life is going to look like, but I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other. So I knew I was going to go off to college. Um, So the day I turned 18, I put everything in my pickup and I drove to the nearest town that had the university and it was summer and I stayed there during the summer. And once school started, I went there and I was like, I want to go to school. And they said to me, they're like, you're not enrolled. What are you doing here? Like, why are you trying to go to school? I'm like, I want to go to school. Like, help me go to school. And they were kind of thought I was crazy. And then there was all this weird stuff. It's like, well, we need your parents here for this. And that. And I'm like, I don't know where they're at. So like, please let me go to school. And someone at the university office did work with me a lot. And she sat there while I cried. And I'm like, I just want to go to school. And then um, they enrolled me and I couldn't afford any of my books. And I like would sit in the library and, you know, sit in the bookstore and like mm-hmm. take photos with my phone of the pages because I couldn't afford the book. And I remember stealing food from the dining hall because I couldn't, I didn't have any money to eat. But four years later, I had graduated without buying a single book and I graduated with highest honors with 
my degree in applied psychology and then I went off and I started my master's and I started my business and that's kind of where we're at today now. Wow. So it's the, it's that fact that you literally had no plan whatsoever, but you had a goal and that mm -hmm. goal was bigger than all your fears put together, all that hardship and, and, and all the what ifs and the buts and the maybes and you made it happen because you were driven to creating that change. Mm -hmm. um, and that resilience got you enrolled into that school, mm -hmm. um, which is, which is, I mean, it, it's amazing because not many people would do that. And yet, you know, it, it, that's just one example. There are really? so many things that we can do, yeah, that if we put our mind to it, that actually we can achieve it. And if we have no plan B and it is, we're going to make this work, it has to work. Then something shifts in your mind and you literally can achieve anything you are a massive example of going from one extreme to the other um, and making that choice and that is the biggest thing is that we all forget in that, those moments of poverty of trauma of upset and sadness that we think we don't have a choice that this is our life and this is what we've been handed but we do we have a choice on how we respond to that and how we move forward mm -hmm. um, and so like I just I love that you you obviously you spoke about being enrolled how in the school in those four years during that school how did your circumstances and your situation change uh with regards to your living conditions um your financial situation that sort of stuff um, I do remember one of the biggest changes was you know going being you know in the dorms then after it started school and just feeling this I still feeling myself feel so tense and going up to the door and being like, Oh, it always unlocks. It's, it's always going to be unlocked. And that was such a, well, I just didn't even know how this was. I'm like, why, why is, why is the door unlocked? Why do I always get to have a place to sleep at night? I always know where I'm going to sleep. And that actually changed how I performed in school so much better. Um, you know, I didn't need to stay out until 2 a.m. and be drinking and partying because I had somewhere to sleep. And that's what, you know, when I was in high school, I had, I did have some teachers like, you're ruining your life. And I wanted them to understand so bad. I'm like, I'm not, I'm doing this to survive. Yeah. And I think to look more so at people, not to excuse actions, but to look at what is, how is this person acting out of a place of survival and how can I understand that in them? Mm -hmm. But so once I was in college where you mostly think of like, that's where, you know, the parties happen and all that. I was so, I loved school and I was like, I love learning. I was around healthy adults. Um, I, a lot of teachers really liked me. Um, and I, so in high school, I didn't care about my grades. I skipped school all the time. I, they almost told me I couldn't graduate because like you miss so many days and I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, I really don't care. Um, yeah. And I, I graduated, so I was not star student at all in high school. And then after um, my first semester in college, I got a 4.0. And that was the first time I was like, oh, my gosh, I can do this. And it was easy. And this is how easy it can be when I'm not so, so stressed about all this other stuff, when I have a place to sleep. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, like with finances, it was hard. I was always working. Um, I was – I tried out for the dance team for our college and I had made it and it was so hard watching all those girls and they pretty much said like you can't have a job and be on the dance team and all those girls having parents who supported them and to be on the dance team and I was the only one the only one who is still working jobs multiple jobs and then doing the dance team and then 
trying to get good grades so that I could make something better for myself. So it was very polarizing in college too, because a lot of kids mostly go and they, you know, have that support and they know that their parents are proud of them for going to school. And that was something that I didn't have at all. And so the finances always remained hard throughout college, but I still had that drive of like, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this happen. So, and clearly you did. I'd love to go into that little, a little bit deeper with that on the mindset point of view, because growing up around poverty, because mm-hmm. quite often we are a product of our, of our beliefs, right? And a product of our um, upbringing. So growing up around poverty and homelessness, where you're surrounded with people who um, thought rich people were greedy and mm-hmm. that good things like that don't happen to people like us type of thing. Mm-hmm. What, what work did you do to overcome that? Because I know that obviously you run a six figure big business now, but you also work with people to help them uh, change them, their money mindset mm-hmm. and their health consciousness and wealth consciousness. So what did you do to go from this girl that effectively had nothing who had to fight to get into school, who worked a gazillion jobs while still trying to do her dream of dancing and being at school, to then obviously graduate and go on to run this business. There, there must have been a lot of like limiting beliefs that you were carrying. So how did you overcome, how did you overcome them? Yeah, so um, yeah, and just like going back to where my mindset was at when I was still struggling, you know, I took on those beliefs, even though I wanted better, which was such a weird dynamic because I, I wanted to be rich, but I hated rich people. And I thought they were assholes. And I, you know, was so jealous of all those girls on the dance team for their parents helping them. And like that they're probably lazy. They don't deserve that. Like I'm working so much harder. I had so many mean and terrible beliefs and, and then I still wanted better. And it's obviously like when those two things exist together, it's not going to happen. I, I always say now to my clients, I'm like, you will never become what you hate. And a lot of us are holding on to those hateful feelings and those jealous feelings. So I operate from that for a long time. And then, um, so I didn't know what a personal development book was at all. And one day I was like, I'm, I'm going to get a book that's going to change my life. And that, that's the thought that popped into my head. And I went into, um, that's the thought that popped into my head. And I went into our bookstore and I walked into the personal development section and I got this book. Um, it's called the magic of big thinking by, um, Oh, spacing it now. Really good book. Um, and that was the first personal development book I had read. And in it, it was just talking about the, the fact that you can have more, that we just have to think that we can have more, our goals get to happen. And that was, that was the first like piece of education. After that, I was hooked on getting any type of free education I could, changing my mindset, developing new beliefs. And I really started just by picking up some books, picking up books that thought differently than I did. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, you know, books are, are an amazing resource and something that we all have available. Did you work with anyone beyond the books? to get to that deeper level because from my experience personally my experience as a coach you know there are top line things that you can work on where you get pretty Mm -hmm. much instant change or results but the sustainability aspect of it wavers somewhat when we're challenged or we're thrown a curveball or whatever and so it's it's only when you get to that deeper level that you are able to break through and get to that core 
route. So how did you get to that part to, to unlock that and create the breakthroughs? Mm -hmm. As far as like people that were in my life, I was in, I was really lucky that my university had free counseling. So that was the first time that I was in something where I could process everything that I had gone through. And, and I was, I went to counseling, like when everything was falling apart and I was such a brat when I first started counseling. And it's funny because I'm still with my counselor now. And that's been, that was like six years ago. We talk about how I was so stubborn and resistant to change, but for some reason I still showed up every single week and mm -hmm. was like right in that waiting chair early, but then kicked and screamed all the way through it. So I knew I wanted to change. And I would say that was someone who, once I was in the university, really helped me, um, you know, being involved in like something like the dancing was the first time where I had kind of the sense of community, even though I felt really different. So it was definitely different things that helped me kind of get a better foundation and ground floor so that I could build off of. And then, you know, now I work with other coaches, you know, I continue to work with coaches on building my own business, my own mindset, and then it's still processing everything that, you know, continuing to process everything that my childhood was. Totally. You know, I think you made such a valid point there is that we are a continued process. And um, the fact that you've been working with your counselor for six years and obviously continued development with coaches some people, you know, they think, oh, well, I've read a book, I've done this, that, and the other. I know it all now, my life's going to change. But right. the there is no quick fix and there is no perfect. Mm -hmm. We are an evolving process, a work in, in progress. Um, and so it's having that, that one, that acknowledgement that, that actually it, it requires time and effort, as it does with everything else. But two, sort of having that focus and that commitment to keep going and to be open to that. Um, and, you know, I think obviously when you got into university and you had that opportunity to have that counselling, um, it's interesting that you were there resisting yet still there. Um, mm -hmm. That just shows the inner conflict that a lot of us have. You know, we want change, but we've, we don't want to change. We want someone to change a sport, like click their fingers right. and everything, be okay. Uh, <clears throat> what was driving you at that point? Because there was obviously two... You got the mind monkeys and then the like the devil and the angel almost kind of driving mm -hmm. you there. How did you manage both of them? I really think it, it comes back to, you know, the story that I told about sleeping in my pickup that night and deciding what my heart was going to be. It was hard for me to show up to counseling too and to work through all this trauma and really honestly, like post-traumatic stress symptoms and that that was difficult and I had made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to end up 20 years down the line and hate my life I wasn't going to be like everyone that I saw in my childhood and that was the thing like I didn't have those role models growing up but I had such a strong example of everything I didn't want to be and so I looked at I'm like what are they not doing that's everything I'm going to do so even when I didn't want to do any of it because of my past conditioning, I mean, that was the environment I was raised around. I had such a strong distinction and pain point to look at and be like, this is what your life is going to look like if you're not yeah. like trying really hard to get out of it. So you kept reminding yourself of that. As you're mm -hmm. So how, obviously you graduated. Um, how did you then go from, from where you were to where you are right now? Yeah, like running a successful business that had like quite a rapid um, success rate. Mm -hmm. So talk me, talk me through sort of 
what your steps from graduation to, to today and how yeah. mindset and, and all of that has paid a part. Yeah. So I always knew I wanted to be a business owner since I was young. I would try to sell like my sister's drawings from her art book to kids yeah. on the playground. So, um, and then I got in trouble for that. Um, but so I want to say that to some people, I have seen some people have such shame because they're not entrepreneurs yet, or they don't have a business yet. And they feel stupid because they love these personal development books, but nothing is working. And I, that is exactly where I was. I loved I loved growing. I loved what these books were saying. I loved learning about business owners. And I still, you know, was at that point. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to start ever. So my first business was actually a nonprofit that I started and it was to increase self-esteem in young girls through dance. So that's a summer camp that I have. Um, I still have it. And that was my first taste about business. And I failed a lot because I was on my own. Um, you know, and you're supposed to have like a board and have all this stuff set up. And I was, you know, just pretty much got it in my head. I'm like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And, and you know, that blind step in front of step. And then I launched it and I had, you know, two camps that summer and they were filled and that was my first taste in business. And then I kept going, but a big thing that drove me too was I graduated my degree in psychology and I was like, okay, none of these jobs pay anything. And I was like, no, I made a promise to myself. I'm going to have everything I want now. I, I get to have it now. I don't have to wait until I'm in my 30s or 40s, which is what all my peers were saying. Like, it's okay. You know, we just have to hustle now and then we'll get, you know, good jobs. But they hadn't realized that it's like, I've been hustling since I was 12 years old and paying yeah. bills. I'm over minimum wage at this point. Yeah. So when I graduated, I was working as a behavioral specialist. I, you know, worked eight to four um, then after, right after that, I wasn't making enough money surviving all on my own. I didn't have help. So then I would waitress from four to midnight and then I would have grad school all the other days too. So I was exhausted. I was like, this isn't how it should be. I'm trying to do better. So then that's when I launched my coaching business, um, and pretty much started off more so doing that life coaching and working with a lot of women who had trauma, but everyone that I was attracting was also business owners. And they ended up saying, help me build my business, help me build my business. So I took everything that I had learned from my psychology background, from helping women and really instead of, well, and paired with why do people act the way they do? What makes people buy the way that they buy? Um, and that's when I transition into the mark, you know, marketing strategist, and then also continuing to use psychology and helping my clients overcome their mindset blocks. And then also combining that with business strategy and growing your business. And it ended up being this perfect little bubble of everything I loved, everything I ever wanted to do. And I was really good at it and booked out my practice and continue to teach women how to, how to do it for themselves as well. Um, and I always say, I think my clients get the best results out of any other people because I work so much on not only the psychology of the marketplace and why do people buy, but also your inner psychology and what's going to make you grow for the long run, long run. How can you become the best CEO of your life and your business? So, I mean, obviously this is such a transformation in a, in a fairly short time. Mm -hmm. Obviously it doesn't feel it, but you're 24 now. So half your lifetime was, was in poverty and homelessness and that other half has been really kind of identifying your why and and not stopping until you get it um and there's a an amazing video on youtube called famous failures where there's so many like oprah winfrey 
mm -hmm. uh, Michael Jordan, uh, various other Eminem, or, uh, the Beatles, all of them who didn't have the easiest start but kept going. And you, you remind me of these people because your why has been so strong. And that is the thing is that when you have an emotional attachment as to why you're doing this, it really helps you get through anything and allows you to keep going even when you don't know what that next step is gonna look like. All you know is you're gonna take that next step and see what comes for you. And so I, I just think it's incredible. How have you changed as a person from, from back when you were 12 to when you started at school to now? I think the biggest transition that I always do is I'm no longer a victim and I refuse to be a victim. I refuse to tell me to tell myself any story that's going to let myself be a victim. And that came from the understanding, okay, there's a reason why people play the victim. Like you are getting something out of it. And a lot of the times that's attention. And sometimes like I know in high school, I needed that attention. I needed almost that victim story, but I decided, okay, this is what you get as a victim. You get that attention. What can I get as a survivor? What are the benefits to owning my story and overcoming? What are the benefits to being a survivor? And I decided that those were the benefits that I wanted and that creating something, helping women get through, you know, their own pain and hurt, turning their pain into power, and then also helping women build a life of wealth for themselves, creating more wealth in this world, that was better than getting attention from being a victim. So that's pretty much anything that happens. I always say, make, make your life your fault. It gets to be okay. So many people run away from that and are like, oh no, it's not my fault. And anything, I can think of coworkers. I can think of so many people. It's like, well, that wasn't my fault. Make it your fault because when it's your fault, you get to change it. And then you have the power in that moment. And I would say that's one of the biggest shifts that I made early on that carried with me that developed and kind of like you were saying about you know it seems like this this big rapid growth another thing i want people to understand is it was in some ways but at the same time it was small pieces of growth that were developing for years that no one saw or that when people saw it before the results were like why why are you always reading those books that's so stupid those books don't work like you're not a millionaire and you keep reading all these things and this constant need for wanting to be better was slowly doing it and then all of a sudden it looks like you're an overnight success, but I'm like, actually I was struggling overnight for years and years and years, but with this intention that I'm going to continue to get just a little bit better every single day. And that is such, I, I love that because we all, we all can get better. Um, and we all, that continuous learning is what sets people head and shoulders above the norm. You know, what sets us from good to great to exceptional. Um, I remember seeing an interview with Roger Federer and he was saying when he was world number one, he was constantly looking at ways in which he could improve because staying the same is like going backwards. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's so true. You know, if we get to that level and we think, right, we've made it, there are people around us, um, whether it's in business or in life, who will want more. And so they will leave us. So we always have to continuously improve in mm -hmm. order to, to maintain the success and the life and the happiness that we want. And you are a, a clear example of that. And I, my biggest thing is, you know, my, my past, um, very different to yours, but was um, very traumatic. And you, I have played the victim and I have gone down the drinking route and, and the, um, the counselling route and, and the anger and the, all of those things. 
But the truth is our past doesn't have to define us in a way that people think it does. It doesn't have to hold us back and make us feel that, that we have to play small because that is what we've been told or led to believe due to our experiences. And actually we can turn that trauma into power and to use it as a driving force in the way that you have done, um, in the way that I have done to transform lives and, and inspire others to do the same. And that is when we take that control back and, and you really can't, you, you're a perfect example of not letting your past define you, but also having that power and that control that so many of us feel that we lose and we don't, it all comes from a choice. And I think it is incredible what you have done um, and the, the transformation that you have made and continue to make. And I, I love your drive. I love your openness to continuously improve. It shows so nicely that that is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, do you have any set mindset resources that you use to keep you on track? I would say, um... Now I've developed a lot of mine that works. I'd say if you're someone who's in the beginning, like get any book that you can get your hands on, get any free training. I have, um, this is part of the reason why I have, I have my free Facebook group. It's called the intentional CEO. Anyone can join if you're listening to this, but I'm always giving free trainings, get your hands on everything that you can, because how I viewed it is if you put dirt in a, in water and you serve it to someone, it's, it's dirty water. But if you continuously run clean, crystal clear water from the fountain, eventually that dirt's going to spew out and you're going to have a clean glass of water that you can drink. But when you're constantly shoving dirt in it, and that's how it is if you've grown up around, you know, a toxic environment, if you work in a toxic environment, you're just putting dirt in your cup. So to combat that, you need to constantly be pouring clean, fresh water into it. Um, as far as what I do in my daily practices, I do a lot of just being really intentional. Where am I, where's my mind at now? Um, I do a lot of journaling. I think a big myth that I don't like in the personal development world is that we always have to think happy thoughts. Yeah. And if you don't think happy thoughts, bad things are going to happen to you. Um, when really my philosophy is just be aware of what thoughts you are thinking. I always go back and I say, what am I thinking? How is this familiar? Why is this pretty much bullshit? Like what are, what is the evidence to say this isn't, this doesn't have to be real. Mm. And then I say, what do I now choose to believe and intentionally put in place of that to move forward? So that's a huge one that I do. I like to practice gratitude with where I'm at now, especially if you're someone who is constantly on that constant improvement. That's how I can get sometimes. It, and it can feel again, like nothing's ever enough. So really being intentional with my gratitude, what I'm feeling right now, listening, when do I need a rest? When do I need a push? Um, I would definitely say that those are all practices that I implement now pretty daily. Totally. Now I was being uh, interviewed someone else the, uh, this morning and, and she's said the same. And, and I was in a situation where I'd let that um, time out slip just a couple of weeks ago and actually reached that state of burnout. And it is so important to listen to yourself, mm -hmm. just not just mentally, but physically as well. And to, give yourself that space um, and not put the pressure on when you suddenly think you've got to do mindset rituals that take hours. Right. No one's going to do that. Like keep it simple. Mm -hmm. um, gratitude is something that a lot of the people that I've interviewed talk about is something that I am very passionate about. You know, when you come from a state of gratitude, your, your vibration and your thought process is so much higher and more open than 
that from lack and and yet there's so much that we take for granted but actually if we acknowledge it then we start our day and end our day in such a different mindset because mm -hmm. there is so much more around us than than we realize and and certainly when you're in that state of chaos or funkiness or whatever you can't see the wood through the trees and so gratitude is an amazing way of pulling that back and saying you know it's not that bad you've got mm -hmm. this that and the other even if it's two or three things there's two or three things that you didn't realize you had two seconds ago but actually you have that um so yeah i think you know, totally with the with um, everything you're saying, with the gratitude, with, you know, just keeping it simple yeah. uh, and continuously evolving without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Do you have a mindset mantra that you work to or that you live by? What do, you, do you mean like a, a phrase? Or... Yeah, yeah. I really like in my room, I have a sign that I see every single morning and I literally like printed it off and it just says I can and I will. Yeah. Um, very simple. So I, I keep everything simple, but I would say everything just goes back to the fact that I create my own reality. I, I can, um, a lot of the times I find myself saying like, you know, I deserve to have, have this because, because I'm enough right now. Um, instead of being like, well, Oh, I need to be this, this, and this first, like, no, I, I get to have it now because, because, because I am. I yeah. yeah. Because I say it. Um, so yeah, they're always kind of like constantly changing and evolving, but I would say definitely like all mine just go around like that. I can do it as like cheesy as that sounds. Um, oh, amazing. It's a good reminder because a lot of times we, even if it sounds cheesy, well, the counter thought to that is I can't do it. And yeah. I know that's what a lot of my clients struggle with. And I've mm -hmm. struggled with that self-doubt and it's like, well, no, I can. Yeah. I can because I, I can. And you most certainly can. You're living proof that you can. And that is the that's the thing. We can all do more than what we're doing right now. And we can all achieve more than what we are achieving right now. And it, yes, it takes discipline and it takes um, ownership and commitment. But if you make your why bigger and your goals bigger than your fears, then it opens everything up to unlimited opportunities that you you control. Um, and you know you've shown that yeah and absolutely and I want people like you know we were kind of talking about earlier and some of the, what you were saying was kind of sparking um, ideas I mean but this thought that you know people take their story and they think that it's correlated to who they have to be what they have to become and then this idea that we we're talking about just consistently getting better and you can move fast so I was you know, looking at my progress, there was, when I first started as a business coach, there was a lot of people I felt like I was in competition with. And I was like, they're so, they're years ahead of me. How am I ever, how am I going to stand out in this? And just taking it as like, your past doesn't correlate to that. If you consistently get better, especially when other people are being the same, you get a rocket, like rocket launch past all those people. And that's what I had noticed. Like now I'm standing and it looks as if, oh, this happened overnight, but it was you know, those little patterns in the end, but you do get to rocket launch past them. So anyone who is feeling like listening to this and is feeling discouraged or feeling like that the market's too saturated or they can't do this, it, it always gets to change. If you are the one in the back end constantly improving, you are going to outlast and then overshoot the people who decide to stay stagnant. Totally. Yeah. Any reality gets to be different. You constantly get to choose to write a different story.
hundred percent, hundred percent, and and I love that that, that you've just mentioned that because we think we have one story and we have to live by that story. We can rewrite our story whenever we want. It's just whether we choose to write it and we choose, as you've said, you create your own reality. So we choose to create the next chapter. It doesn't yes. have to be the one that we think um, is written for us based on our past. We have that pen. We have that control. Um, Julie, it's been amazing talking to you. Um, there's so much that I could continue to yeah, ask. I know. I'm like, let's keep going. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, what you've said is so powerful um, we aren't our past we have that control um, and when you continuously learn and grow and develop you open yourself up to success and to happiness um, and I just want to say thank you very much for for sharing um, your story with honesty and emotion and you know with with truth because things aren't easy like I said it has been hard um, but you chose your heart. And I love that. I really love that. Um, and I just think that that kind of sums everything up is choosing which hard route you want to take or choosing your heart and going with it and making it fun along the way. Um, and not letting, uh, you know, our initial start or other people hold us back. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's Thank been you so much for having me. It was so fun. I really oh, appreciate it. It's a pleasure. I think I might call you back because there's more. Th- I certainly want to uh, monitor your your continued success and and share the the next chapter mm-hmm. um, with everybody. But um, it's been amazing. How can people follow you and um, get to to be a part of your community? Mm-hmm. Like I said, I have my free Facebook group. It's called Intentional CEO. You'll see a photo of, well, I guess this is a podcast. So you guys don't know what I look like, <laughs> but it'll be a photo of me. I'll say Intentional CEO. There'll be a headshot of you. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and that's free. Um, pretty much I talk, I give a ton of business advice, tips, how to scale. Uh, I have that mission to be able to give free value from this because of how much I benefited from it. So that's a great way to keep up with everything that I'm doing. And then another way is through my Instagram, which is just at underscore Julie Tice. So in my last name, spelled T-H-E-I-S. Excellent. I'll have all of your, your social links um, in the show notes um, and um, a photo of you. So everyone will be able to see your <laughs> Perfect. Um, but that's been, it's been amazing. So thank you very much. If anyone um, obviously wants to find out more about Julie or to follow her, then then click the links that, that will be connected to this show. Um, but for now, Julie, thanks so much. It's been lovely speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a review. Bye for now. Bye.